Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why is Daniel Kinahan back in the news? Actually, this podcast could easily have been called Who is Daniel Kinahan? Is he the son of Christy Kinahan Sr., a convicted heroin dealer? Is he one of the leaders of the Kinahan Organised Crime Group, a notorious cartel known the world over for its drug trafficking? Or is he a boxing promoter with Don King-sized ambitions? Over the past few weeks, he has made the news for many, many reasons. This week, the Special Criminal Court found that the Kinahan Crime Organisation carries out execution-style murders and traffics drugs and firearms on an international scale. Those words from the Special Criminal Court came just days after Daniel Kinnan was himself being quoted in press releases about the possibility of huge, and when I say huge, I mean really huge boxing fights, like between British heavyweights Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, taking place in the Middle East in the coming months and years. But where do these stories belong? Are they front page crime stories or back page sports stories? Is Kinahan merely a controversial boxing promoter as he was labelled in one article recently? To discuss why we're seeing so much more of Kinahan than we have at any point since 2016 when he was the target of a now infamous shooting in the Regency Hotel, I'm joined by two of our own, reporter with the Journal.ie, Gareth McNamee, whose beat is usually focused on crime, and the 42's Gavin Casey, whose expertise in fight sports lands him in here again with us. And Gav, the last time you were on talking about boxing, my editor and producer just lobbed 10 minutes off the end of our chat because we just kept going on. So with that in mind, because there is an awful lot to unpack here, everything from the importance of boxing to the parts of Dublin where the Kinahans hailed from, to sports washing in the Middle East, But let's start with the basics, Gareth. So to you first, who is Daniel Kinahan? I suppose, as as your intro just said there, um, he's either one of two people. He's either the the son of Christy Kinahan, the heroin dealer. He could be the the gangland kingpin, or he's just a a man with no criminal convictions who just wants to uh, promote boxing across the world for his love of the sport. I suppose you mentioned the, the Regency Hotel shooting. You have to go back like four or five years to really get a sense of the person Daniel Kinnan was to become on the world stage if you get me like you go back to February 2016 he was promoting um, an event called Clash of the Clans it was a boxing weigh-in at the hotel and as we all know uh, it was stormed by guys wearing guard emergency response unit gear brandishing AK-47 there was a man dressed as a woman who was armed with a 9mm Beretta and then there was a, a man called Flat Cap because he was wearing a flat cap um they went in they stormed the uh the, the way in and um they were actually searching according to Gardy for daniel kinan who was present at that way in um they didn't manage to shoot him instead they shot david byrne who was one of uh daniel kinan's trusted lieutenants that's according to um a 2018 high court proceedings which named daniel kinan as being uh, the facilitator of one of the uh, biggest crime cartels uh, in Western Europe and uh, in areas of uh, South America and Middle East. Yeah, Garth, that um, High Court, it was actually an unpublished ruling of uh, the High Court, which said that Mr. Kinahan, so that's Mr. Kinahan Sr., is now resident in Dubai. That was in 2018. Um, but the day-to-day operations of his drug trafficking are managed and controlled by his sons, Christopher Jr. and Daniel Kinahan. So while we know Daniel Kinahan has absolutely no convictions for anything in Ireland, that is what the High Court have said about them. But that High Court ruling was actually more centred on the Byrne organised crime group. So can you tell us a little bit about the interactions of those two? 
yeah, like it kind of gets a little messy, but it, it, there's the Kinahan Organized Crime Group, KOCG as the guard he called them, and then there's the Byrne Organized Crime Group. David Byrne, who was murdered at the Rizzi Hotel, his brother Liam Byrne uh, is the head of the Byrne Organized Crime Group, according once again to the um, evidence given to the High Court by Gardy. The Byrne Organized Crime Group is the Irish branch, if you will, of the Kinahan Cartel. There's a lot of kind of substratus to this cartel, and um, Lee Byrne would be the the Irish leader of of the Kinahan cartel. But uh, once again, according to Gardaí and various high court statements, Daniel Kinahan is the leader of the uh, organised crime cartel, and he's based in the Middle East in Dubai. So a lot of people will know about the Kinahans mainly from the Hutch Kinahan feud. We'll get to that in a second. But what do Gardaí say that this cartel? actually does like what's its business yeah so the criminal assets bureau um in in, in statements once again to courts we just have to hammer home that these are our statements being made in court by Gardy sworn uh, under oath um so the criminal assets bureau say that daniel kinahan controls and manages that's a quote from them the operations of the kinahan organized crime group so he's According to the Gardaí, he's involved in drug smuggling, um, smuggling of weapons and other kind of illegal money laundering activities across the likes of South America, uh, the Middle East, uh, pockets of Asia, as well as vast swathes of Western Europe. And and some of this work obviously then led to the Hutchkin and feud. You'd have to go back to September 2015 when Gary Hutch was shot dead in uh, the area of Miraflores in Estepona uh, on, the, on the Costa del Sol. Um, uh, he was shot dead allegedly by associates of uh, the Kinahan cartel. He had been working with the Kinahan cartel and was kind of, a once again to use that phrase, a trusted lieutenant of Daniel Kinahan's. Now, there was a drug shipment that went missing that Gary Hutch was blamed for and uh, rumours start going around that he was an informant. Now, there's been talk that the Hutch family, Jerry the Monk Hutch, his uncle, uh, had paid the Kinahan cartel €200,000 to save his life to save Gary Hutch's life. Uh, the Kinnan cartel allegedly took that money, gladly, but he was still shot dead. Gary Hutch was still shot dead in Miraflores in September. So then you go, maybe, what, five months later, is the weigh-in at the Regency Hotel, and this is revenge for a, a somewhat double-crossing gangland, which we see all too often, where three guys armed with AKs storm the boxing way, and there's people armed with with, um, with handguns, and it's, it's probably one of the most shocking gangland moments that's that's ever happened in this country yeah and the, and the death toll kept racking up we're, we're at 18 that feud has led to to 18 deaths um in ireland uh, and spain daniel kinnan obviously his life was in danger he was the target of that 2016 shooter what did he do from there after the death of david byrne at the regency hotel we saw a flurry of horrific shootings. Eddie Hutch Sr. Uh, was shot dead a couple of days after the Regency shooting. You had another couple of murders spread over um, the early months of 2016. Uh, from then, there was such a huge... Many people remember the response to it. Enda Kenny, was, um, Taoiseach at the time, was doing this you know, North Inner City task force. There was this uproar uh, or outcry from the from the people saying you have to sort that this is this is ridiculous the, the the speed at which people were getting killed the cruelty of it there was such attention on it and attention on daniel kinahan himself so he decides to to flee to spain now spain he set up set himself up in spain i know gavin is going to get into this a little bit later on with the mgm uh boxing promotion which is now mtk so he kind of 
went back to Marbella, to that kind of area of Spain where he had his associates, where he had his friends, where he felt a bit safer. But like a lot of gangland wars, these aren't constricted by borders. Um, the gangland war would easily come to Spain. It was just a Ryanair flight away. So he decides to, to, to hightail it to, to Dubai, where the extradition laws are quite difficult. The, the legal process is very tricky to extradite someone. So he's been there since. And really, Gav, this is where boxing comes into play and comes into this new perception of Daniel Kinahan. Because we have seen, if anyone reads the sport pages, particularly boxing pages um, and those in Britain, the praise of Kinahan has been really effusive from boxers, from other f- uh, promoters, from people in the Middle East. So what exactly is his role in the boxing world right now? Like what what's his title? Special advisor, I think, is the title that's been cited most often in relation to Kinnan over the last few weeks. I suppose a lot of people are talking about him wanting to become a promoter. I'm not sure how comfortable he would be being um, so out in the open uh, and upfront about that. I think he's relatively content to be an extremely influential figure behind the scenes and a sort of a power broker in other promoters' efforts to make deals for some of the biggest fights in the world. People have made the comparison to Don King, understandably. King had a checkered history, to say the least. But I, I would compare Daniel Kinnan more so to uh, another boxing figure who has no association with crime whatsoever, a man called Al Heyman, who has risen to prominence in the world of boxing without really so much as giving an interview to anybody or seeking the limelight so much. Uh, but more so, he's, he's somebody who, after fights, Fighters will constantly thank him for what they've done and nobody really knows a, a, a thing about him. So the praise towards Kinahan has come from other promoters who will now rely upon him to stitch together fights between their respective fighters. So you're talking about you know, the three biggest promoters in the world. Eddie Hearn, who everybody would know as, as Katie Taylor's promoter, Anthony Joshua's promoter, son of Barry Hearn and head of matchroom boxing. Then you've got Bob Arum, Hall of Famer, 88 years old. Uh, he's the founder of Top Rank, which is one of the two biggest promotional stables in the States. And then Frank Warren, who everybody would be familiar with, I think, as well, who would have sort of brought boxing to Sky Sports back in its early days uh, and is still extremely influential on the UK side of things. Um, all of them are... <laughs> I suppose, um, I wouldn't go as far as to say they're reliant on Kinnan, but he will make things a lot easier because of his association with MTK Global and because of MTK Global's association with some of the biggest names in the world of boxing. So, For those who aren't familiar, Gav, with how boxing operates, it's not like other traditional sports where, you know, the, say the Champions League, the top four teams from this league play, get put into a, a bowl with the top three teams from this league and they they fight it out. How you mentioned stitching together a fight. What needs to happen for two boxers to end up in a ring together? Yeah, there are a lot of steps involved. Uh, it's probably more complicated when they have two separate promoters. For example, Hearn and Frank Warren don't see eye to eye whatsoever. And therefore, it's pretty difficult to get their fighters in a ring together because they will rarely, um, if ever, sit down at a table and negotiate with each other. Obviously, you have sort of intermediaries and people involved who can do that on your behalf. And that's sort of what Kinahan is, is doing in ways in his role with a management company. But 
there are other factors as well and, and layers to it, such as each promoter will have an affiliation with one TV network. So, for example, Frank Warren, um, all of his fighters would generally fight on BT Sport, whereas for Hearn, they'll fight on Sky Sports, which is obviously a, ma- a major competitor of BTs and vice versa. And then uh, add to the equation the sort of American uh, side of things where for Aram, top-ranked fighters will always fight on ESPN, and Warren now has an association with ESPN. So there's just a lot of moving parts. And if you were to use, say, a Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua fight as an example, because that's the one that's been cited in, in relation to this topic, Anthony Joshua would have a, a TV rights deal with Sky Sports in the UK. Tyson Fury is affiliated with BT Sports in the UK. Anthony Joshua fights on a streaming platform called Zone in the United States. Tyson Fury fights on ESPN in the United States. So basically, one of the complications is how do you get them on the same network when there are so many people who have a stake in all of it? And, and you know, there are, you know, f- fairly rudimentary um, negotiative issues in relation to shares of purses and things like that, which are generally hammered out. But it's always the more, well, like not obscure, but uh, they're like annoyances, really, the, the TV things and the little promotional hang ups. So... Kinnan's role in all of that is he represents the likes of Tyson Fury and some of the biggest names in sport and he can basically sway them in a certain direction and when I say stitching a deal together he can be a a middleman between Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren and Bob Arum all of whom would have a stake in an Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury fight. So is his power when they say power broker his power is in his relationship with the fighters themselves? Yeah I think his personal relationships with them um, probably are, are are pertinent, but it you know NTK Global people describe it as a promotional company. It's not really like it's a management company, and a management company or a manager's role within a boxing context is to be a go between between fighter and promoter. And Kinahan, while MTK have have sort of done their best in recent weeks to separate themselves from him is obviously a very influential figure in the careers of say Tyson Fury, Carl Frampton and people like that. So for Fury for example, if like I I've no doubt that they have a a good personal relationship. I think they're pretty much on record as saying that. Certainly Fury is, but it just makes it easier in that you have a a person to sit down between three promoters also happens to be a person who is now quite influential in the sport in the Middle East where that fight between Fury and Anthony Joshua will likely take place and he knows the right people on that side of the world to smooth the transition and, and get those moving parts together and, and for it to for a fight to come to fruition as a result of that so it's more so his capacity really as a de facto manager that makes him very useful to fighters and for the major promoters in the sport at the moment. Yeah, we've mentioned MTK a little bit, so let's let's get into their role in all of this. Uh, Gar mentioned earlier that they were MGM um, management when they were initially um, set up in, in Spain. They're now MTK and, you know, they, they are at pains to say that Daniel Killian has no financial involvement, um, although he was quoted in a press release uh, recently by them. What MTK, so they are, they're a management company, as you said, what is their what what has been their historic relationship with Kinahan and what are they currently hoping to do? What are their current ambitions? 
Well, historically, I mean, he's a co-founder of the company first and foremost. So um, he has generally speaking been fairly entrenched in the company and has always remained influential in it. Sometime after MTK rebranded as MTK, um, a woman, a businesswoman from Scotland called Sandra Vaughan took control, uh, bought the company of Matthew Macklin, who was the other co-founder. And it was stated publicly at the time that the company had cut all ties with Daniel Kinnan and so on. Um, you know, I, I'd say that's completely open to interpretation. Like, again, on paper, there was probably absolutely no relationship uh, between Kinnan and MTK at that point onwards. But uh, he was still uh, obviously a very influential figure in boxing um, and in, in the careers of a lot of MTK fighters like he's a he was a registered manager once upon a time with the Boxing Union of Ireland so um, what happened recently was that uh, when all of this resurfaced as a result really of Bob Arum giving an interview in which he sung Daniel Kinnan's praises as this influential figure and describing him as the captain and so on MTK were forced to well maybe not forced to but MTK decided to come out via Sandra Vaughan and just stress that there was no official connection between MTK and Daniel Kinnan. Vaughan made the point that Kinnan advises fighters and might recommend that fighters uh, sign a management deal with MTK or might recommend to MTK that they sign a fighter to a management deal and so on. And that's as far as the relationship goes. But no sooner really than she had distanced uh, MTK from Kinnan again in that sort of official capacity, there was a, a, a press release issued by MTK only days later when they announced a partnership with KHK Sports in Bahrain, which is just a combat sports promotional company um, which is founded by a member of the Bahraini royal family, Sheikh Khalid bin Hamad Al Khalifa. He's the head of the Bahraini Olympic Committee and he, I guess, is just trying to uh, get things moving in terms of like massive combat sports events uh, taking place on that side of the world. So in that press release, Kinnan was, you know, confirmed already as being a, a special advisor again to KHK Sports. He's quoted in the press release. So ultimately, like NTK separated themselves from Kinnan in an official capacity before formalizing ties with him once more albeit with one degree of separation in that he's officially involved with khk sports and now mtk are involved with khk sports so from a technical point of view this is working daniel kinahan does have a new job a few years ago mtk really needed to separate themselves formally from him they did so at every turn even going as far as banning the Irish media to make sure that they wouldn't keep bringing up daniel kinahan when they were fighting or had fighters uh, their fighters fighting now they're okay with promoting him in a press release, putting his name to quotes. But is it working from a, um, a wider point of view, like from a PR standpoint? I think he's actually made a couple of poor moves from a PR standpoint, a few of which I'm sure we get onto in a moment. But what I mean by that is, like, I feel as though had he not made such a song and dance about it, he might have been able to slip in under the radar and become the figure that he seeks to be in boxing without as much fuss um this all again started with an interview that bob arum did really uh on ifl which is a channel fairly major youtube channel um that solely really involves one-on-one -on -one boxing interviews and the occasional boxing event being streamed ifl is is sponsored by ntk global they're sort of essentially in a partnership there was obviously a very concerted campaign to 
celebrate Daniel Kinnan as this great businessman, a trusted advisor, a great friend, a good guy. And it just turned heads, particularly here. There was a sort of a, a, a weird social media campaign, which is ongoing, where a select few accounts target Irish journalists, you know, you know, basically accusing them of being corrupt, the conspiracy theory around the Regency Hotel shooting, which is absolutely absurd. All of these things like have, have probably drawn far more unwanted attention on him in Ireland, and that has started now to have a kind of a residual effect outside of Ireland. If if none of that had occurred and he just sort of attempted to sneak his name in there <laughs> into a couple of interviews via the likes of Bob Arum, like no Irish crime journalists really are watching IFL TV, I don't think, you know what I mean? So I don't know whether or not it's working outside of Ireland then is, is again, I think that's an ongoing situation where I would have said a couple of weeks ago, absolutely it'll work because who, like genuinely speaking, like, like from the perspective of somebody who was from outside of Ireland, none of this has taken place in your backyard. You don't really know any of the people involved. You, you don't really care either about these peripheral figures in boxing, Daniel Kinnan or whoever else. Like, so I, I don't think it would have been a major deal to them. But I think now, because he has garnered some of what he will see as, as all of this unwanted attention, people in America are starting to, to look at it, people in the UK as well, and think like, okay, what's the story here? Like, we've already had Boxing Scene, which is probably the most prominent boxing website in the world, write a, f a feature piece about this topic, uh, all of which was accurate and, and very well written by a guy called Jake Donovan. And... Um, uh, you know, there have been other other sort of uh, combat sports websites as well, MMA sites who are looking at this because, for example, MTK have an MMA sort of arm, as do KHK Sports in Bahrain. So I don't know that it, it will work, whereas actually a couple of weeks ago I said it, it probably will work because, look, boxing fans aren't the most scrutinous. Like, there's so much um, nefariousness in the sport as it is. It's difficult to sort of sit and point at every sort of wrong thing that is happening in the sport um but he the, the he uh, daniel kinnan or whoever is is sort of like <laughs> advising him in a, in a pr sense have made such a hoopla about this now that i i it won't change opinions of, of people in ireland but i'm not sure it'll uh, i'm not sure it'll have an uh, effect on people outside of ireland to the point that they will see him as a, a legitimate boxing figure i think most people now are looking at the guy and googling him and kind of going okay what's what's the story here gar as gav said there there was uh, a song and dance made of all this and there was actually a literal song it's 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 I think of it now i just the only word is bizarre right so a youtube video pops up uh, a couple of weeks ago um by a rapper called jay spades um never heard of him but anyway um the song is called major plans and it's it's about the the reason hotel shooting and kind of i'll give you a taste of a couple of the lyrics on it right it's like uh, it's was it worth a movie that could have won an Oscar? Everything was a setup. Twenty minute calls to the police, no pickup. Um, sorry, my rap is rapping isn't very good, but um, yeah, this is absolute nonsense. Firstly, I think uh, something that was sticking. I was even getting Twitter notifications going. Yeah, it took them twenty minutes to get there. There's something in this. There's something in this. That's absolute nonsense. The guardy were on, uh, on scene at the Regency Hotel in two hundred and ten seconds after receiving the call. There was not the armed support unit at the time. There's the emergency response unit, uh, response unit. There was armed detectives. There was they were all on the scene within three and a half minutes. So to say that is an absolute lie, and it's so easily disproven to the point that it's 
absolutely ridiculous that this claim was made. Um, you go also, there's a, there's a lyric that says, Guess the government wanted somebody dead, hoping the bullets hit somebody's head. Basically accusing uh, the government at the time, the Endicani Fine Gael Egg government, uh, of conspiring with Gangnam figures to have Daniel Kinahan shot dead uh, in a bid to swing the election. I don't think Endic Any was up to that, to be honest. <laughs> like that's it's it's it bored like if it wasn't so serious, it would make for a great kind of caper movie. Do you know what I mean? And even there was this documentary that came out. Like I use documentary in the same sense, like it's 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 not a documentary, it's 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 rubbish. It's um it's this but it's very well produced. It also appeared uh, a couple of weeks ago or a week and a half ago. It was posted by a, a Birmingham based um uh, YouTube channel. Um now this this uh documentary kind of alleged similar things that Jay Spades was alleging in the song Major Plans that you know it was a conspiracy um took ages to arrive just just madness. It showed Daniel Kinahan as this kind of like uh, this suave uh, boxing promoter who all he wanted to do was, you know, uh, uh, put on this show for boxing fans in Ireland. But the fact that it's Birmingham based is really interesting to me because Birmingham is essentially the second city of the Kinahan cartel. Um, you have, that's where if guys wanted to flee, um, if a murder was carried out or if they were kind of needed to get off Ireland, off the island, and to, to Great Britain, they go to Birmingham. Loads of Kinahan Cartel associates are based there. You have Thomas Bomber Kavanagh, who himself is serving time. Um, these have all been named in high court proceedings, so there's nothing uh, legally untoward about it. So we know that a Birmingham-based YouTube page puts this documentary up. Yeah, he's talked to newspapers about this. What has he been quoted as saying? Yeah, he's kind of saying that uh, someone contacted him, and I'll quote him here as being out of the blue, um, and he asked him to post the material, quote-unquote, on the condition of anonymity. Um, he said he wanted just to put it up and let people make their own minds up. Just to recap a little bit um, of what we've heard so far, because we are trying to explain here why Daniel Kinnan is back in the news. So... We know that there were press releases from KHK Sports and MTK about these advisory roles in the hope that um, there may be fights in the Middle East between people like Fury and Joshua. Um, So those press releases were being put out at the same time or around about the same time that these videos were appearing online, the rap and the mini documentary, which were hoping to or looking to reframe the story around what happened in the Regency back in 2016. So that's all happening on this side. And then on the other, we had a court case where the Kinahan name was being mentioned in relation to execution style murders and international drug trafficking. Gareth, can you take us through what that court case was actually about and why the Kinahan name was involved in it? Yeah, so in early 2018, the brother of Jerry the Monk Hutch, Patsy Hutch, was uh, was targeted in an assassination plot, as it was described in court. Now, a number of men have been convicted in relation to it, a number of other men have pleaded guilty to it, but what we got a sense um, from the sentence hearing from Mark Capper, who pleaded guilty for his part in it, um, in the failed attempt, by the way, they, they caught um, men 250 metres from Patsy Hutch's home, um, so the, it was a foiled uh, gangland hit. Um, but 
we had evidence uh, from Detective Superintendent um, David Gallagher. He's of the National Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, so he would be on top of all uh, organised crime groups in Ireland. And it was really interesting because w- what happened in that sentence here in kind of evidence was the Kinahan cartel were explicitly mentioned. Um, usually you might hear, you know, he belongs to an organised crime gang based in Dublin, south inner city that has tentacles across Europe, which would be guard to speak for the Kinahan organised crime gang. But to have Detective Superintendent Gallagher explicitly say, it was this was the work of the Kinnan organized crime group. Um, he also went into details about like the the hierarchy and how it's structured and uh, the the subcells within the Kinnan cartel, which which had a serious problem with informants over the last three or four years, which saw many of its key members, such as Fat Freddy Thompson, locked up for the murder for life for the murder of Dahi Douglas. Um, so you y- got this really rare insight into into uh the Kinnan cartel and how it works gav all of this stuff that was happening in court um and daniel Kinnan's connection with boxing the world over what does that mean for boxing in ireland it doesn't make a great change to what's been going on in boxing in ireland over the last three years since the regency shooting really in that mtk has no presence in the republic of ireland at all for obvious reasons now and The professional boxing scene here has stagnated, not only as a result of so many talented fighters signing to MTK and not being able to fight in the Republic, but also due to other issues, um, including fees to the Boxing Union of Ireland, that uh, insurance premiums and and the the general sort of, uh, I suppose, uh, controversial insurance situation in this country that have really nothing to do with MTK. Like... I suppose on a grassroots level, again, it's not as though if Kinnahan um, rises to become this boxing kingpin that he wants to be, it's not as if people aren't going to walk into their amateur boxing gyms at the age of 7 or 10 or 12 and try to win Irish titles and try to get to the Olympics. So I I don't know that there is necessarily a direct correlation, correlation or cause for concern on that or at that level of the sport. One of the I guess one of the optically poor aspects to it is that boxing has always been a sport in all countries, really, which has been there for people who are in, um, be it underprivileged areas or areas in which they would be expected to, uh, you know, nearly become involved in uh, criminal activity or just go down the wrong path in life, as as everybody knows. And for... uh, Kinnahan to sort of be a spearhead in the sport it's kind of a, in a way poetically tragic but I think with the scene in Ireland as it is at the moment the only real concern you'd have is that like people will probably aspire to sign with MTK Global because they've done an excellent job in managing their fighters first and foremost like that's I think uh, undisputable or indisputable at the moment um and they have a, a sort of a sense of uh, of being a collective, of being a, almost a club in a way that young fighters, young amateur fighters might want to join because they see some of their heroes signed to this company. So you could foresee, and it's probably already happening to an extent, um, 
you know, talented young amateur fighters before they ever get to even senior level as amateurs or go on to sort of fulfill any Olympic aspirations they might have. They could turn pro, sign with this company, and then they never fight in the Republic of Ireland. Um, so it's difficult. Can we just explain to, to listeners why there can't be a, a professional fight in Ireland? Yeah, there are professional boxing fights in Ireland um, nearly every year. Like, there have been more professional boxing cards in Dublin since the Regency shooting in the three years since or four years since now than they than there were in the three years that preceded it. So it's not as if that in itself killed the sport in Ireland by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that some of our most prodigious talents, uh, most of them really now, do sign with NTK Global, either as soon as they turn professional or somewhere down the line in their professional careers, precludes them from fighting in Ireland because MTK can't put on a show here. So you have excellent an excellent promoter in, in Leonard Gunning uh, from Sligo, who uh, is the founder of Boxing Ireland Promotions, and they'll continue to work away with sort of small hall shows south of the border, but they've now sort of migrated north of the border, again, purely due to insurance costs and the like. But there won't be sort of a major boxing event in Ireland for... I suppose for the fact that realistically, if there was to be like, say, a Katie Taylor homecoming, which is always cited as being something that people want to see happening in Dublin or wherever, you know, you're not going to fill Croke Park for an event like that. Um, You're not going to fill the Aviva, the RDS, even like outdoor arenas, generally speaking, are dodgy because of Irish weather. So you're looking at the three arena, which is situated down uh, in and around that sort of Sheriff, Sheriff Street area in Dublin, which would generally within a gangland context be associated with being uh, hutch territory and if you have say any sort of MTK fighter or any sort of MTK association even on a, a Katie Taylor homecoming to use that example you can't really guarantee the security of anybody who attends the event any of the fighters involved or for the likes of say Katie's promoter Eddie Hearn who if he is to make a fight between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury will be negotiating with MTK, will probably be negotiating with Daniel Kinnahan, who advises Fury. So there are just too many kind of loose ends for that to take place uh, from a security standpoint and as the Gardicia, because they kind of have to give the nod to approve all of these things. And it, it's not worth the hassle for promoters. It's not worth the hassle for Gardi. And that has essentially stunted the development of the sport in Ireland to the point that it has stagnated. And all we're left with are very enjoyable but low profile shows and the sort of massive events that we used to have with Bernard Dunn back in the day and so on Steve Collins and Parky Cueve and Mill Street are, are no longer possible because they will uh, there are just too many causes for concern on, on all sides of it Just to be clear Katie Taylor isn't an MTK fighter but you're saying if there is connections anywhere along the line the Guardian might say look that, that can't get a licence here yeah, I think like that's essentially it. I mean, she's she has no association with MTK at all, but um, she's promoted by Eddie Hearn, who has Irish fighters on his books that are managed by MTK. And, you know, can from Eddie Hearn's perspective, can he put on a show in Dublin without having a John O'Carroll, uh, who's from Finglas, involved on the card, without having TJ Donny, former world champion from Port Leash on the card and so on. It's difficult from that point of view logistically because you want to shift tickets, you want to give your Irish fighters an opportunity if you're coming to Ireland. But also, like, who knows how some of the people who um, might be a security risk in this type of situation, like... think of the likes of the people who did break into the Regency that time who knows how they would think or who knows what might 
trigger them to make a statement on on a stage like this where you would have probably people either loosely connected or officially connected to MTK or people who have been uh, in contact with or in negotiation with Daniel Kinahan even briefly um, you, you, like there, it, it isn't worth the it isn't worth the hassle of putting it on when you've got 9,000 or 10,000 people packed into an arena and you know, and by the way you have a weigh-in as well on the Friday night the night before and so on so like it's not like it's Katie Taylor herself has no links to MTK but there are again more moving parts than just Katie Taylor like if it was just a Katie Taylor fight <laughs> and not an undercard like it wouldn't be feasible for starters but like maybe it would be possible but um because of the and i hate to use the term climate because it's kind of used as as a way of of excusing all of this but like that is probably the the correct term that because of the general climate in dublin um it would not make sense for a big time boxing card to take place there for the time being and just to be really clear the people we're mentioning there the john o'carroll's tj dohany's they have absolutely no involvement in any criminal activity of any kind their sport is boxing their business in is in boxing and um, but we're talking about there about boxing in dublin like daniel kinahan may not dream of coming back to dublin may not want a, a homecoming in dublin um of any kind of boxing or otherwise um but if he did come back um, the Gardaí have said that he is a, a, a person of interest that they would just like to talk to if he ever did step back into Ireland so you'd imagine Gav that his dreams are set elsewhere so if he did manage to get this Tyson Fury Anthony Joshua card in the Middle East and it is on BT Sport and it is on Sky Sports how much of a huge deal is that for someone who has had dreams of becoming that boxing power broker I'm sure he could um, but he more than likely be arrested um straight straight away uh, as he's wanted for questioning in relation to to a lot of uh, serious criminal activity um now have the guards been explicit in saying that they haven't been explicit in saying that but the fact that he's been named as a facilitator of he's been named so many times in court as being as being involved in criminal activity um you'd have to suspect that guardian want to talk to him uh, uh, once he steps off a plane onto Dublin or to Shannon or wherever. A homecoming to Ireland might be something that he dreams of, uh, Gav, but if he manages to get a Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua card in the Middle East and it's on BT Sport and it's on Sky Sports, is is that a huge deal for someone with a dream of becoming, like you said, that that boxing power broker? Oh, I'm absolutely. I'm sure it is. Like it would have been a an aspiration he would have harbored for all of his adult life to just be an influential figure to begin with, and for him to be kind of the missing piece and the jigsaw of the biggest heavyweight title fight in thirty odd years. I'm sure would be uh, a moment of immense pride and satisfaction for him. Um, I'm not sure he dreams of a homecoming anymore. Is is one thing I would say. Like. If you look at the documentary that Gareth has laid out uh, and slammed <laughs> emphatically, if you look at the Jay Spade song, which was a farce, as we say, and you look even at some of the online targeting of um, Irish journalists and so on, I, I would say that he's, he's kind of given up on Ireland in a way. I don't think he expects anybody from Ireland to buy this nonsense uh certainly not the nonsense in the in the song or the documentary because like we're like you know we're not that stupid like i mean generally speaking no irish person's going to look at it and think yeah he has a point you know it's it's completely ludicrous so i think those were designed actually 
particularly like implicating you know the government and basically like having all of these bot accounts that were set up in April tagging Fine Gael and tweets saying like you know you conspired to kill this man nobody in Ireland is really going to look at that with and give it an ounce of credibility but if you don't know who Fine Gael are for example and you're in America or England or whatever maybe you look at it and go oh maybe maybe there is something to this so I, I would say he's Ireland is is no longer his target audience or his target market. And I, I think he's probably outgrown it as well in the sense that, like, if you're a Joshua fight, you're involved in that, then who cares about Ireland? Like, you've made it to the top. Uh, you've made it to the top of the tree and you've probably gotten to where you were trying to get to, where you are this go-between for some of the leader, literally the most powerful figures in the sport of boxing. And you are the, the glue, really, that is holding that entire event together. What money are we talking for that kind of event? Yeah, like I've heard $500 million cited a few times. I, I don't know really where, um, from where that figure emanates. Like it, it probably seems a little bit on the high side for me. If you consider that would have been roughly what was on offer for Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao. Now, albeit that was that was five years ago and uh, purses have gone up since, like like most things in life. But um it's it, listen it's difficult to know but i suppose one thing you could say for it is that to have it in saudi arabia for example or have it in one of the gulf states would be worth a lot more to both men than it would be if they had it in say wembley which you know would be the ideal location for it, two british heavyweight fighters um like for example when anthony joshua fought andy ruiz in saudi arabia a few few months back i think between joshua and eddie hearn it was probably worth an extra 40 to 45 million quid to them and uh you know they took plenty of flack for it at the time naturally because saudi arabia has an absolutely appalling record on the human rights front uh but they they took the money i mean to put it plainly and that would be accentuated and magnified again you'd imagine if it was fury and joshua the biggest fight that can be made in boxing right now um and i'd say certainly you'd be looking at a a total purse of upwards of 200 250 million quid anyway i might even be underselling that but i I think the 500 million that's been cited elsewhere is, is probably a little bit too far at the moment and that's split between the two men and their teams yeah, like, it, it, again, it depends. It goes back to what we were saying at the start in terms of um, how you thrash out a, a deal. And you would have probably Kinahan uh, negotiating or at least people associated with him negotiating on behalf of Fury, who's managed by MTK. And then you'd have Hearn and whoever um, negotiating on behalf of Joshua. And there are all sorts of factors that would be taken into consideration as to who is the biggest star on the global stage um fury really would be considered now the heavyweight champion even though he only holds one belt like he's undefeated whereas joshua did lose to ruiz and uh, has regained those belts since so like that that would be a matter for for promoters you'd imagine it would be something close to a 50 50 split maybe 60 40 one way or the other there might be a concession made there are also rematch clauses to be taken into consideration where you can lay out for a future fight uh, if I win, I get 70% of the next one and so on. But we have to take into consideration as well that this fight isn't in any way uh, near confirmed. Um, they, both of them will take fights in the interim before that. And in heavyweight boxing, as they say, anything is possible. So it could be, um, you know, it could. The, all of these aspirations might go up in smoke. You never know. But um, I think with uh, a fight like that, uh, from the perspective of all of the the stakeholders, like 
it is the very pinnacle of the sport. It's the world heavyweight title. All the belts are on the line. It's a, it's a massive money fight. You could look at it as a 50-50 and, uh, and basically make plans for a rematch, maybe even three of them. And if you're talking about like a rematch, maybe you could take that back to Wembley or, or somewhere in the UK. But realistically, if you're going to make an extra 100 million between you all, you'll probably head back to the, the Gulf states or the Middle East again. This may be a silly question, given what Gav is saying there about the money involved. But Gareth, do we know where Daniel Kinahan's love of boxing comes from? I think I think for a lot of people, um, especially from where Daniel Kinahan is from, it'd be the the flats in the inner city of Dublin. It's uh, ironically used uh, a lot by people to to get people away from crime. Um, obviously, uh, Daniel Kinahan has not gone that way, but it's um it's really interesting to see i think i've been to many uh, many scenes over the years many people talking maybe giving tributes to to someone who's deceased in a, in, a, in a violent way and a lot of the time i'm pointed to the local boxing club um um because you know the, the deceased may have uh, you know, trained there when he was in his teen years, when someone was trying to put the the arm around the shoulder and get him away from certain things. So I think boxing is is, is a way of life and death in uh, in Dublin for Daniel Kinahan. I think one of the biggest signals of the money that's involved in boxing, but also the money that's involved in sport in the Middle East, and one of the fights you were talking about there, Gav, Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz, when that fight was put on, they actually built the entire entertainment complex and stadium from scratch just for that fight so I'll, I think we'll leave our listeners with that little little fact and that snippet about just the money we're talking about and the, and as you said the power that we're talking about here uh, thank you very much Gareth and Gavin for joining us on this week's episode of The Explainer thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Gav and Gareth for joining us today if you enjoyed this chat and learned something we have loads more for you check out our bat cattle Check out our back catalogue where you'll find loads of recent shows, especially on the coronavirus, where we explain things like how to read data, what the testing at the moment is like in Ireland and what the next phases could look like. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.